welcome back to The Reading Cafe, the podcast from Holy Cross High School that aims to get people talking about reading. Talking about reading then, Ellie, what's the last book you read? The last book I read was Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, a book that I'm studying this year for my English dissertation. What about you, Emma? Uh, last book was Really Did the Great Gatsby because I did it last year and I loved it. Well, I have to say, Team Gatsby over Daisy. So this episode of the Reading Cafe podcast is the first in a two-part series featuring New York Times best-selling comic writer Mark Miller. We really can't wait to share this inspiring interview with you. You'll hear Mark talking about his irresistible passion for his work, his endless sources of inspiration and his deep connection to his Lanarkshire hometown of Coatbridge. Mark was an absolute superhero of a guest and so down to earth. He gave so much of his time, but I think we've been happy to chat to him and his funny special guest, Aldi. During this episode, you will also have the chance to hear a brilliant supervillain origin story written by one of our S2 pupils. On top of all that, you'll hear Mark's responses to some questions from some of our Holy Cross S3 and S4 comic superfans. Now to the Batmobile, here's Mark. They say that not all heroes wear capes. Well, our guest on this episode of The Reading Cafe is a true superhero for comic fans all over the world. He is a New York Times best-selling writer who has written for Marvel and DC, perhaps the comic equivalent of having played for both Rangers and Celtic. Usually successful Hollywood movies such as Civil War, the best-selling Marvel book of all time, and Logan have been born from his books. On the advice of Marvel creator Stan Lee, he branched out to create his own Miller World franchise in 2004. Since then, Miller World has spawned the likes of Kick-Ass, Wanted and Kingsman, all of which were developed into big-time box office blockbusters. He sold Miller World to Netflix in 2017 with their $21 million and he continues to act as executive producer on all of his projects, overseeing their development from script to screen. Outside of his incredible contribution to comic book culture, he is also known as a large-hearted local legend in the community of Townhead Coat Bridge where he grew up. He and his wife Lucy started the Miller World Foundation in 2017 to commit long-term to funding a variety of events in the area, including annual pantomime trips for primary schools at Christmas, entertainment for the elderly, donations to food banks and free children's leisure clubs during school holidays. For all of these reasons and more, it's our great pleasure to welcome Mark Miller onto the Reading Cafe podcast. Guys, thanks for having me. Good to see you. So have you been up to anything interesting today? Just working. I mean, that's the weird thing about being a, a writer is you're in the house all day, but you are still working, you know. So um, even though it's the school holidays and the kids are off down here and everything, I'm still slogging away. They're all having a great time. They're all playing Roblox while I'm sitting uh, at the computer doing something much less fun. Bet you're sad to be missing out on that. You know, actually, I can't play it. Like, it's weird because I used to be able to play video games, but they've hit a point now where I'm I'm now looking for dad, you know, (laughs) that I I have no idea what the guys are doing. They're building a giant stone fox or something like that, you know, and I'm like, well, how can I help you? You know. (laughs) I think even we've got that when we're looking at younger kids and I'm like, I don't even know what you're doing. The weirdest thing is the YouTube videos about it. Have you guys seen any of that kind of stuff? Where, yeah, uh-huh, where I've you're watching you guys play Roblox, you know, and, and people are getting yeah. really excited and upset. And I'm like, it as well be in a foreign language. That's, this is what happens when you become an adult, isn't it? When you become a dad, you're like, my dad was confused by Pac-Man and all that, you know, so this is just the next generation, isn't it? <laughs> you know, maybe I'm just more traditional, but I tend to stick to more of the reading books and everything. Obviously, in your line of work, you're obviously you're writing a lot for your comics and graphic novels. So, what are you currently reading just now, then? Uh, Reading-wise, you know, here's a weird thing, right? See, when you work in fiction, what you do is you tend to read fact. 
So it's really odd. Like, um, and I noticed this about 20 years ago. I was sitting in a bar with a bunch of writers, and we, we all were chatting about what we were reading, and everybody was reading something factual. So it tends to be like a textbook or a biography or something like that. Because think about this. Most people live in the real world, right? And they live in fact. You know, you have a job that deals with real stuff. And then at nighttime, it's a lovely distraction to come home and and watch or read something that's fictional. It's a, a bal it balances your life out. But because we work in fiction all day, weirdly at nighttime, it's quite nice to get into fact. So yeah. I, I find I read loads of factual stuff. So like I'll read like huge books of essays and things like that. I mean, it sounds so boring, you know. But like, yeah. but even on holiday, you know, I'm sitting reading like you know some old prime minister's autobiography or something. Have you got any recommendations on biographies that we could read? Um, let me think. What's, do you know who I do love is David Icke? I know that's a bit controversial. Do you guys know who David Icke is? He's um, he's a big conspiracy theorist <laughs> guy, right? And like, he's so interesting. He used to be a sports presenter on BBC, right? And then about 30 years ago, he had this like alien visitation. And uh, <laughs> and then he gave, he gave all that up, gave up the BBC and then became a new age guru. And he, he travels around the world talking about UFOs and all this kind of thing, you know? He bring every year he brings out a new six hundred page book and I'm halfway through one of those right now. <laughs> is that a cat in the background there? Oh, it may be yes, that's uh, <laughs> oh, that's one what's of the, the cat called? Uh, that cat is uh, Bubble. Bubble. Oh, that's a very lovely name for a cat. <laughs> well, so, do you know, we actually had Bubble and Squeak, they were two identical cats, and then oh. we squeak we squeak get run over during lockdown, you know. So now we've got oh, I, I said, why don't we get another cat and just call them Squeak? And uh, we ended up calling him Biscuit instead, so we've got Bubble and Biscuit now. Uh, do you find me distract you while you're working? Or <laughs> well, do you know it's funny? I, I keep everybody out the room when I'm working. This is we're in we're in just one of the living rooms just now, you know. And the cats followed me in here, it's sitting on the piano. <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, I, I whenever you're writing, you really have to close the door and keep everybody out. Yeah. Because uh, even one of the kids coughing or something, I came out shouting at everybody. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you're saying that like when you're reading, you tend to read. But um, fiction, non-fiction. Sorry, does that translate when you're watching TV and shows and that? Are you more going into documentaries and real life kind of stuff, or are you yeah. like, a bit of fantasy on TV? Oh, definitely. Like, I mean, it's funny. I counted, even though I work in television as well. I've watched. I counted this. I've watched 22 shows in the last 25 years. Really? Which is crazy, you know. So, I, so I watch less than one show a year, but I watch every news show and everything, you know. So, and all writers are the same. It's funny, we're all obsessed with Newsnight and Sky News and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, but when something's really great, you've got to watch it just for the pure craft of it, you know. Something like Sopranos or Breaking Bad or The Wire, and these things are just so brilliant. You know, you must watch them, and you learn. You learn from it. And I've kind of got this theory as well. You only get out of your head what you put into it, you know. So, if you want to be healthy. You've got to eat good food. Yeah. And it's the same with culture, I think, as well. You know, like I never ever sit in front of trash TV, never. Like I just don't watch it. I couldn't identify a Kardashian. I don't know any of these people. And I know I really <laughs> wish I could say the same. <laughs> but I think it's the equivalent of mental McDonald's, isn't it? You know, so like so I just think if I'm gonna watch a film or I'm gonna watch a TV show or whatever, it has to be a really good one. I do go to the cinema a lot though. I go to the cinema once or twice a week. So what's the last movie that you've seen in the cinema then? Uh, I went to see Shazam yesterday, actually, Shazam. Um, so any comic book movie, I'm, I've got to go. Uh, especially because, one, I love it, um, and two, uh, a lot of my pals make these things. So mm -hmm. then I have to, they'll say, what did you think? And I, you can lie to a certain extent. You know, sometimes I do find myself Wikipedia and stuff to find out, you know, if, what people thought and everything. But it's best to actually just go and see it and have an opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's your favourite film, would you say? 
Oh, do you know it changes all the time? It's a bit like a favourite song or something, isn't it? You know, it's different points in your life. Um, what was it? <laughs> yeah, like my favourite right now. I'd say it always alternates between The Godfather, which I, you've, have you guys seen The Godfather? I've not seen it, but my brother loves it, so I hear a lot about it. <laughs> it's so good, honestly. I mean, it's an 18, but you, I'm sure you'd be fine with it, you know? Uh, Goodfellas, uh, I love, like, gangster movies I do like, Jaws. Superman the movie was a big one for me as well. Mm. I really loved the 1978 Superman film. And I think that's when I realised what I wanted to do when I grew up. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw Superman the movie and I thought, I don't know what, what it is, but I want to do that. You know, I, I knew it was a job for somebody, and I wanted <laughs> somebody who works in, in that that field. Yeah. Obviously, like what you do, many people would consider being like a dream job. So, what one word would you do, use to describe your job? Um, mm, that's a really good. That's a good question. I would say relentless, <laughs> and I think in every sense, and that you're never finished. You never finish a story. So, like. Currently, for example, I'll tell you what my week involves at the moment, right? So at the moment, I am maybe doing, how many? I've got, I'm launching a book on Wednesday this week. So I've maybe got about nine Zoom calls for interviews this week, right? Um, but in Mexico tonight, I think, and India tonight, right? So I've got, I've got a whole bunch of Zooms for that. But then I've got usually two hours of Zoom at work every night as well, you know? At the moment, we have a TV show, TV show launching in summer, a horror TV show, and I'm sitting in edits watching that, so I'm watching cuts of that every night. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm interviewing guys about doing the sequel to it, you know, because it's going to be a second season. Right. Um, so I'm thinking about that project. I'm also writing a project myself at the moment that will be made into a television show probably the end of this year, start of next year. Um, and then I'm reading through the scripts on the next show we're shooting round about October on another project entirely, you know, so it's it's quite relentless, you know, and you never ever finish, like whenever you finish one project, there's five things sitting waiting for your attention. There's an awful lot going on at the one time. Spinning a lot of plates at once. I know, I know. So like, uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's also great fun, you know, like, I mean, it's not, it's not a, a not fun job, you know, so like, see, yeah. you don't mind working hard if you're having a good time. Yeah. So do you find that you're ever able to switch off then or do you find that like even if you try and take a break like your brain's constantly going coming up with new ideas and characters yeah. like oh what if we do this and that? Yeah totally I mean I was on holiday about three weeks ago and I always promised my wife I wouldn't pick up a pen when I'm on holiday but I do find myself sneaking off and writing wee things down and all that you know so like uh, you can't help it it's like it is such a way of life for me like I'm 53 now and I've done this since I was 19. So, like, um, I can't imagine not doing it. So I think when I'm 100, I'll still be doing this. <laughs> Nobody will be reading it and I'll be doing it with one hand and all that, you know, but, like, uh, I'll still be doing it. I'm sure people will still be reading it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially since you probably take a lot of inspiration from day-to-day life and things like that. And even, like, interactions with, with people is just, like, stuff that you can add in in places like that. Well, you do. You never you never actually run out of stuff. That was always the fear. Whenever you start working uh, as a writer, people always I think, well, what if you've only got one story or what if you've got three stories? But the truth is it's kind of like a muscle and the more you do it, the stronger it gets. So I find it so much, I find the job so much easier now than I did at the beginning yeah. when I had no idea what I was doing in my twenties. Do you find that you do a lot of planning like before you'll sit down and start something or do you just kind of see where like, the story's going to take you then? Oh, huge planning. Yeah, like really huge planning. So like um, one project I worked on, I spent a month just looking at a, a white, what they call a whiteboard. You know, a whiteboard, it's like a blackboard, but just, you know, a huge yeah. board on, 
onto spikes I've got and like uh, what I do is I write everything down in little yellow post-it notes and I stick them all over this, you know, and then I sort of look at it and move them around and peel them off and write new ones. And I spent literally from 8 a.m. in the morning until 5 p.m. every night doing that for four weeks. <laughs> and it, it sounds mental, but the whole story was in my head. Only thing that was annoying is we had a party at the house and two of my pals came in and they rearranged all my... <laughs> All my notes oh my and, and stupid, stupid things that I would never have done. So it was a nightmare. I, I spent about another month just tangling up. <laughs> I think we're going to bring in some of our younger students who have questions to ask you, if that's okay. Yeah, so this is Tiva here and he's just got a wee question for you. No problem. Hi there, how are you doing? Uh, good, 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 yeah. Uh, if you could be a character from a comic, superhero or villain, who would you be and why? Uh, that's a good question. If I could be a character in a comic, um, I'd make it a guy who's in one of my books. And the reason being, then I would write a really easy life for him. I would make it <laughs> like there would be no fighting, none of the threats, all the super villain stuff and all that. I would just make life really easy for him. I'd just have him sitting watching TV and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I think that seems like a pretty easy escape out of the superhero <laughs> villain life. <laughs> This is Jonathan. Hi. Hi there. So when creating a new character, what comes first, the costume or the character? Oh, always the character, because the costume has to relate to the character. So think about this, right? Imagine you designed the Batman costume or the Superman costume or something like that, but you didn't have the character. You could be putting it on the wrong guy, mm. you know, so the guy has to come first. Like, what's interesting about Batman isn't these pointy ears. What's interesting about him is that his parents were killed. And then he goes off and becomes the best fighter in the world and a brilliant scientist and everything. And he comes back as an adult, he becomes Batman. So you, you, you always do your character first. Yeah. Always. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That makes sense as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So what would you say is the best costume out of any of the superheroes? One that fits the personality best and that you would just, you'd love to be? Um, I think Superman's costume is a really great one, actually. Superman's costume is a great design. It's the American flag. Um, mm -hmm. It's a really sort of patriotic thing. It's at a time when the Statue of Liberty was saying, bring me your huddled masses. It was saying every immigrant was welcome in America. And Superman was the ultimate immigrant. He was a guy coming from another planet, didn't know anybody here and everything, you know? So a guy dressed in the American flag that embodies that, I think Superman suits great. And um, it's timeless, you know, you can't mess with it. There are jukeboxes full of songs about heroes, David Bowie's heroes, the flaming lips waiting for Superman, and of course, Taylor Swift's Superman. But I'm with Tina Turner, we don't need another hero, because we all love the villains, don't we? We asked the rest of our pupils to write origin stories for their own supervillains for the podcast, and you're about to be introduced to the tragically love-struck Purple Shot, the creation of Ailey from 2A. As William Congreve put it, Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned. Purple Shot by Ailey from 2A I'm fed up of being cast aside while you shine. Not for long though, my time is coming. My name is Laura Woods, or Purple Shot, since that's the name everyone knows. I am 19 years old, but let me tell you about my past. When I was 17, I always had a crush on Blue Wave, who was a hero. So of course, when he asked me out of a thousand people to be his sidekick, I said yes. Little did I know how corrupt the hero society was sidekicks mysteriously disappearing and villains being tortured. 
it seemed like the only person on my side was Blue Wave. A few months went by. I was getting really good at being a sidekick and my crush on Adam, Blue Wave, he told me his real name, had only grown. But that was the day that I would learn the truth. Blue Wave and I had a task to go to a warehouse because apparently that's where the villains hid the missing sidekicks. It was quite sudden to be given this task but I went along with it anyway. As we walked up towards the warehouse I knew something was wrong. I turned around to find that Blue Wave was no longer there but I did notice a blue light shining inside the warehouse. As I entered the room I instantly noticed the computer with my name on it. And that's when Blue Wave walked in with a person in a lab coat. Adam, I said, my voice shaking. Don't call me Adam, he growled. You honestly think I would choose you? The only reason I picked you was because of your looks and your powers. Powers? I had never had any powers. He seemed to notice my confusion and rolled his eyes. We found out in some tests that you had powers, so we were going to awaken them and make you into a weapon. That's when two arms grabbed me from behind and took me to a room and strapped me down. I turned to find Adam, no, Blue Wave, to look for any hint of emotion, but all I saw was him smirking, knowing exactly how betrayed I was feeling. He walked to a button and pressed. Then all I felt was pain, like lightning striking me every second. All I knew was, they were going to regret this. I won't be a weapon for them. I will be a weapon against them. The last thing that Blue Wave saw was me rising with purple lightning. Wow, what an ending there, certainly keeping us in suspense. I don't know about Yelly, but I cannot wait to hear part two. You better get writing, Yelly. Now it's time to get back to our interview with Mark Miller. Well, this is Amy Lindsay. Hi there. Do you have a clear idea how your comics should look before artists get involved? And how important is the artwork to the comics? Oh, that's a great question. Now, writers don't like to admit this, but I would say the art is about 70% of what makes a comic good. Like, a writer can um, can write the best story in the world, but a bad artist can ruin it. Like, absolutely ruin it, and it looks terrible. Whereas a great artist can take the most rubbish story and make it look amazing, um, just with their, their skill. Um, so, I, so I would say the artist is the most important thing for sure. Um, and yeah, I definitely know how it's going to look because what I do is the reason I pick the artist, right? So what I do is I have the story in my head and then I think who'd be really good at drawing this type of story. So I pick, if, if there's a guy who's really good at drawing cities, if there's a guy who's good at drawing dark stuff and everything, a guy who's good at drawing comedy stuff or whatever, yeah, it's a bit like actors. Like whenever I'm working with actors, I always kind of think, oh yeah, this guy can, can pull this off, this guy can't. So what you have to be really aware of is other people's skill sets. So I'm really, really knowledgeable on comic book artists. I, I know everybody who's working in the industry, I can visualize their stuff. So when I write a story, I think, well, that guy is the guy that I can use for this one. Yeah, that makes sense. There must be like a constant communication need then. So do you find that you form like quite a lot of friendships, like from friendships within the industry? Oh yes, very much, you know. I think it's interesting because when I started out, I was only 18 turning 19 right when I went to my very first convention down in London and what a convention was in those days they were quite small there was only 2,000 people something like San Diego now you get 160,000 people showing up for these you know it's really big um, whereas back then it was um, you know a big hall maybe held 300 people and uh, it was quite important you know to kind of get to know everyone when you first start in any business you know think of your first day at school imagine trying to get through school without yeah. knowing people you know 
Um, so what I do, I did is I, I got to know everybody fast, but we were all the same. We were all people who just loved it and we were really enthusiastic about doing the job. Um, so next we've got Luke, who's got a question for you. Hi there, Luke. Hi. Uh, you wrote your first comic book, Age 5. Who's been your favourite character to write throughout your career? Um, I got into the business to write other people's characters. I wanted to write Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, all that kind of stuff. But actually it's really fun doing your own stuff and it was only when I started my own company I realised how fun it was. And Stan Lee was the guy who encouraged me to do it. He said to go and try it. Um, and he said to me, imagine I'd never created Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe. He said, imagine I'd just written Superman and Batman. We would never have had Marvel. So it was a really great point. So I thought every generation needs to have its universal characters. Yeah. And then you've obviously made such a big influence in this generation's comic book characters well, as a result well, of that. It takes a wee while, you know, like the very first one I did was Wanted, then I did Kick-Ass, then Kingsman. But I've created now maybe 24 franchises. So over the next five years or so, we're going to see a lot more of those. Um, they they'll, should be really bursting out between now and the end of the decade, which is great. Mm, that's exciting stuff for you. Especially. Oh, super exciting. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a good night out going to the <laughs> premieres and all that, you know. <laughs> Getting all dressed up. It's the only time I dress up. The rest of the time I'm just in a t-shirt like this. You know, so. so obviously, like, you always dreamed of being a comic writer, but did you ever think that you'd get to this level? Like, was this what your goal was or did you... Like, how did that work? Did you ever think you'd be where you are today? Nobody's ever actually asked me that. Uh, but the, the honest truth is um, I would just take it one step at a time. So so my the idea of working in Hollywood was so far away from Cobridge where I was born. Like, And especially, like I, did, I didn't want to move away. You know, So the idea of being a writer and a producer in Hollywood seemed... It wasn't even an impossibility. It was something that just never entered my head. But I couldn't have anticipated the internet or anything like that then, you know. I, I just assumed that's something that happened to other people. But I knew I wanted to work in comic books um, and, and I knew there was a British industry, there was comic books put together in London. So that was my objective. And then once I got to London, I was able to use that as a stepping stone to get to New York and work with Marvel and DC and so on. And then I fell into Hollywood accidentally. It, it, it was just an accident. I really did. Like they just, they, 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 I got on with the guys and they liked what I was doing and everything. And I just, I, I had a total accidental Hollywood career. And normally you start really small, you start doing rubbish stuff. And my first film was an Angelina Jolie movie and all that at the time when she was the most famous actress on earth. So like, I, I was just so lucky. I realized in hindsight, it was just mad luck. I mean, and probably a, a bit of talent as well. well. Also, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty inspiring story, honestly. Like you inspire a lot of us, so. Uh, who would you say is your biggest inspiration? Like, where's that come um, from? I think probably, you know, I, I think it was quite life changing for me. Where there was a guy called Alan Moore, right, and he wrote um, he wrote some things you've maybe heard of as movies, but not as comics. He wrote Watchmen. He wrote From Hell. He wrote League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. A few a few things that were bad movies, but really great comics. And he was a guy who came from the UK, but he was working in America, and and it was like a light bulb for me. You know, like when I was thirteen, I suddenly thought, hang on a minute he's from the UK and he's working in New York. I could try that too. And I met him, so he seemed like a real person and I really liked him as a person too. That's pretty cool. So this is uh, James and he's got a question for you. All right, uh, you've written stories for all the biggest superheroes, Batman, Superman, the X-Men. Is that the experience most enjoyable or do you prefer writing your own character stories? Definitely writing my own stuff, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's your childhood dream to go and write that stuff, but then when you grow up, it's actually amazing doing your own stuff. Um, like I, I love those characters. Now I'll, I'll write them again at some point in the future, maybe here and there. Um, but doing your own stuff is amazing. Plus, you get to own them, you know, which is 
and, and yeah. not to be crass, but you literally make about a thousand times as much money doing it uh, something you own because it's well, it's all your hard work to be fair. Well, so. The thing is, if you do that stuff for Marvel, Marvel make all the cash, and if, if you own it yourself, then you make all the cash, you know. So it's the difference yeah. between J.K. Rowling and the guy who wrote the Harry Potter movie, you know, like, uh, yeah, you want uh, to be J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> So just before when you were talking about Alan Moore being your inspiration, so and obviously because he came from the UK as well, how important do you feel it is for children to see like people from backgrounds similar to them achieving these sort of dreams? Like, do you think that's a big part of why you realised it was possible for you? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, th there's a phenomenon that happens in every industry all over the world. Like in music, you know, when the Beatles back in the 1960s broke the global scene and everybody in the world was suddenly into their music. That inspired a load of guys from around the Liverpool area to form bands and try it. So all it's, it's kind of like evolution, you know, like if if some creature crawls from the sea and goes onto the land, other creatures try it. And that's how we end up with the human race. And it's the same thing with everything in every industry. As soon as you see somebody doing it, you think, well, I'll give that a try too. So I love the fact when, I, when I'm in Scotland, I meet so many people who say, say oh yeah, I'm there's a, the number of filmmakers from Coatbridge even is incredible. Like, uh, I, I don't know of any when I was growing up, but now I can name 10 guys from Coatbridge who are, who are giving it a try to make their own films. Because if you just see somebody else as just a regular person and they're doing it, why not give it a shot? Yeah, and so you must have inspired so many people to follow in your footsteps. It's really nice, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's better yeah. than... Uh, you know, like being a bad influence, I guess, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Kenzie and he's got a question for hey, you. Kenzie. Hi, uh, you've written for both Marvel and DC. My question is, do you have a preference between um, them? I grew up loving the DC characters, but I loved working at Marvel. Marvel was really good fun when I worked there. One of my friends took over as boss of Marvel in the year 2000 when I was 30. And he said, he phoned me up and he says, come on over, the lunatics have taken over the asylum. And I was like, this is perfect, you know? And and he talked me into coming in for, for a lower wage than I was currently on at DC. But I knew I was going to have such good fun. It was great. Can I just let the cat out? That cat is trying to get out of the room. <laughs> That's completely fine. Hi, Bubbles. So you said you worked, you had loads of fun working for Marvel. Did you get to meet like all the big actors and stuff that were on I the did, movies yeah, and yeah, stuff? Yeah, pretty much everyone, you know, and, and it's funny that like, comics and movies, everything's quite similar. It's quite a small number of people who do it at a high level. So everybody meets each other mm -hmm. pretty fast. Like there's almost nobody within a five years, there's almost nobody you've not met. Mm -hmm. So who was your, who's the most inspiring person you met? Who did you enjoy meeting the most? Um, I would say the most amazed I've ever been seeing somebody. I mean, obviously I've met Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, all those people and worked with Nicolas Cage and all that kind of thing. But the one that I was um, most impressed to see is a guy you won't know actually. But when I was a kid, there was a TV show called The Six Million Dollar Man. There was a TV show called um, Buck Rogers and there was the Batman TV show, right? And I saw all three of those guys in real life about 10 years ago in a bar in New York. And I was, they were just hanging out together. And I was like, oh my God. And it was, I think it was the only time in my life I've ever been starstruck. Cause it was like, it was Batman <laughs> hanging out with these two guys. And my wife said to me, she got up and say hello. And I was like, I can't, it was the only time in my life I was ever kind of nervous. It must be cause it's just like, you're reverting back to your childhood and you're thinking of these idols. Yeah. Like I think we'd probably similar, like if I was to run into like, Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, I think that's probably how I actually well, think. Once yeah. I didn't grow up with them, they've got less potency, you know, so like, but it's quite a powerful yeah. thing, something that you loved as a kid, you know. So this is Rachel and she's got a question for you. Hi Rachel. 
Okay, what do you think your greatest achievement is and what are you most proud of? At work? Um, hmm, I think selling the company, that's the biggest thing that ever happened to me. But that was my wife more than me, to be honest. Like We work as a team and she um, she does the business side of it, I do the creative side. And she now works at Netflix as well. She's a CEO um, at Netflix, which is uh, like a really important job. So she handled the, the company sale. But that was quite life-changing because I had 15 partners with that as well. I had um, all the artists who I was working with and I gave everyone a 50% equity in the company. So they all made a lot of money, which was great. So it changed a lot of people's lives. There was guys who were coming up for retirement. There was one guy who was registered disabled and was going to be struggling to make cash and everything. And then suddenly everybody was rich, which was really nice. So so selling selling the company was awesome. That was great. That's a really amazing thing you did for all those people. And obviously, like, you are well known for your generosity because you've got the Miller Foundation as well and you all your stuff at Christmas mm-hmm. time. So what kind of, like, the pantomimes and that and, like, you organised trips for people? Is that the kind of idea of it? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I'm very protective of where I grew up. You know, like, where are you, whereabouts, are you guys Bell's Hill? Uh, um, Hamilton, so just down right. The- that's that's the posh, the posh side of town, you know. So, yeah. well, I, I grew up in Coatbridge, you know, in North Lanarkshire, and um, there was an area in Coatbridge specifically called Townhead, where I grew up, and I've only got happy memories of it, you know. And like, uh, there's six thousand people in my housing scheme that I was in. Six thousand people. There was um, two chat, well, two churches, two schools, two primary schools, um, and five shops, and that's it, you know. So. There wasn't a huge amount to do and everything, and I'm always quite conscious of that. So what I do is I just I focus on that one part of town. You know, I've done a few things outside of that, like I helped Albion Rovers, the football club, and things as well. But like, um, but specifically, I love doing stuff in my old housing estate, and you know, I've I pledged to do various things for the next twenty years. You know, like I want to send every kid in town to the pantomime every Christmas, and I've done that for ten years now. You know, so so that kind of thing. So I take them into Glasgow. I don't. I, I'm not there personally. The teachers do it. You know. Um, but we, we buy the tickets and put on the buses for them and things because I do remember as a kid growing up in that part of the world you don't have a lot sometimes you know and like uh, going into Glasgow was like a huge deal you know like, uh, we would go in once a year or something and I spoke to I gave a talk at my old primary a few years ago and I was quite conscious that some of the kids had never been in and I thought well it'd be good to just have that experience because it's a shame just because you've got less cash you don't get to experience things like everybody else. I think that's a really amazing thing that you do. And obviously that again comes into like, you're inspiring the next generation because you're showing them that the ordinary people can go on to become like these amazing like comic writers and everything, but also that you're still so grounded in your own roots, I think is a really amazing thing. Yeah. Well, I, I love hanging out there. I mean, I was there last week, you know, like, and I'll be there again mm-hmm. next week, actually. I mean, I'm living in England at the moment, but um, I fly up once a month and I hang out with all, all my family, live in Coatbridge almost, you know. So I've got really strong connections to Coatbridge, especially Turnhead. Yeah. And we've just got Tiva back oh, in here. He's got another question. For the second question. question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Uh, it's, uh, my question is, your work is known all over the world, but how much inspiration do you take from being Scottish and in particular coming from Lanarkshire? Well, it's very interesting, actually, because um, you don't think of yourself as anything, don't you? You just think of yourself as you. But whenever you do anything, it has an accent. Like, people recognise it as being a little bit different from other people. And I, I think it's actually a huge advantage for a couple of reasons. One, I've got a different way of looking at the world from some as somebody from Los Angeles. You know, if you're a rich kid in Los Angeles who kind of grew up in the valley, you know, and your your work, your dad works in Hollywood and your granddad works in Hollywood, you know, you're going to have a slightly spoiled outlook in the world, you know. Um, so I, I bring a, a very unusual perspective, which is working class west of Scotland. 
um, to Hollywood. So it gives my stuff its own flavor, like something like Kingsman, which is, you know, a working class boy becoming James Bond's kind of thing. I don't know if a Hollywood guy would have come up with that because they don't know that world, you know? It's not something that would even be on their radar. So that's good. But the other thing is, I think growing up poor has its weird advantages too. And that is, I'm never afraid to take risks. So because I know I would be fine if I had nothing, I'm never afraid of losing everything, you know? So what I do is I, I take constant risks and I, and I, whenever something's going well, I, I I don't coast. I just think, right, okay, I'll leave that now and I'll go and do something else, you know? So like I, I constantly reinvent myself and do different things and I'm never scared in a way that I think a lot of guys who grew up privileged are a little bit more fearful because they're scared of losing things. They, they, they worry about being on the scrap heap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And that's like taking the risks of those kind of things has obviously paid off for yeah. you. And it's I'd like to say it's probably sometimes that some things that people like who do grow up with more wouldn't have taken and so therefore haven't made themselves as big as you've made yourself. Well, I think you have to take a risk sometimes or else you never grow, don't you? You know, so for example, when I was at Marvel, there was a point when Stan said to me, Go and create you should go and create your own stuff. It was two thousand and four, two thousand and three actually, when they had that conversation with me. And uh, I was writing at the time, I think I had four of the industry's top five books. Um, I, I was writing at that particular month and uh, I could have just continued doing that and I'd have been really well paid and it was great. But I took a risk and went off and spent a year not getting paid at all. I took no wages for a year to create my own company and everything. And that, that's a huge risk because it could have gone horribly wrong. Um, and a lot of pals said to me, don't do it, just stick doing the Marvel stuff and everything, you know? So, so, um, so yeah, I kind of, as soon as I get bored quite easily and I kind of like the idea of going off and trying something new. Wow, what an inspiring man he is and so motivational about how you should take risks and live life on the edge. Yeah, I definitely can't wait to put some of his advice into practice in my daily life. I also did love the mention of Bubble and Squeak. I think we should all get our own. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I can't wait to see what's got to say in part two, so we'd love it if you'd spread the word and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and keep reading! reading.